Amen. Well, why don't you stand with me as we're going to read our opening text today from Proverbs chapter 11, and we're going to read a couple of verses, and I'm going to invite you to read aloud with me. This is from wise King Solomon, verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Today, we're going to talk about something that you can't get away from in Scripture. Uh, This is part four of this series of what the Bible says about money, and this specific topic that we're talking about today, you you can try to dance around the issue in Scripture, but you're going to have a hard time because it's littered all throughout. This specific topic is mentioned more than three times as the amount of love. You thought, what? I thought the whole point of the Bible is, is that it's about love. Well... you got to know how to give love away. This specific topic that we're going to talk about today is mentioned almost 10 times as much as the subject matter of prayer. And you guys know here at Seeds Church, we're a house of prayer. So, and that's a burning, that, that, that's a burning passion on the inside of me and in this church is that we'd be a house of prayer. And so if this is mentioned more than or about 10 times as much than prayer, then we probably ought to pay attention, huh? And so today we're going to talk about living generously. Last week we talked about the principle of honor and how honor is connected to the discipline of tithing. Now, if you missed that message or any of these, I encourage you to go back to our podcast, uh, whether it be on Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts, any of those, and listen to it and catch up because it will encourage you And it will also maybe bring some things to light that you didn't even know or think about. But but tithing is not about generosity. Tithing is about the principle of honor. When we bring and return our tithe to the Lord, which is what? 10% of our income, right? When we return that back to the Lord, it's not we're going, hey, Lord, look how generous I'm being. No, it's going, no, Lord, this all belongs to you, and I'm returning it back to you because I'm honoring you, right? And so we, we, we made mention that honor is one of our core values here at Seeds Church, right? We've got five stated core values at Seeds Church, and one of them is, is that we honor. We honor all people. Of course, we honor God, but then that, that overflows into even honoring all people. Well, as we make decisions around here, we do it through the filters of these values, and one of those is honor. And another one of our stated core values, you can see there at the bottom, is, is that we live generously. Everybody say that with me. We live generously. As I said before a couple of weeks ago, I don't want you to think that I'm preaching this series of messages because when we get done today, we're going to take up a special offering. Okay, we're, we're doing this because we need to know what God's word says because we're making our home an altar, right? We're making our hearts an altar, our homes an altar, and this church an altar. And money is something that's so personal to us, and, and it touches every part of our life, and it touches our heart because you feel it when you don't have it, and you feel it when you do have it, that we need to know what God's word says about it. And, and so... 
We're, we're not going to take a special offering today, but I want to say this. This topic of generosity that we're talking today about, it goes far beyond just our finances. Because it just doesn't say we give financially generously. It says we live generously. This is a whole person value here. We, we could, it, it touches every part of my life. We could say it this way. The value in life is not determined by how much I achieve or accumulate, but by how much of my life I give away. Let that sink in. I'm going to read that again. The value in life is not determined by how much I achieve or accumulate, but by how much I give away. So today we're going to take a look at why God wants you to live this kind of life and why we should choose it. Because he's not, he's not going to twist your arm. He's not going to send an angel down here to earth and, you know, torment you and twist your arm and make you be, be generous. God desires this for you. And then our response would be like, man, if this is what God desires, then I want it for me. Right? Some of you in this room, I'll say this. Some of you in this room are the most generous people that I know. And I'll make this observation about life, and I've said this before, and it still rings true through the years from the moment I've, I've seen this, that the most generous people are the happiest people. I didn't say the ones who have the most, who have the most resources in life. I'm just saying they're the, the ones who are the most generous with what they have have the most joy. They, they, are, they have the most peace. They have the most happiness. And it has nothing to do, again, with what they have. It has to do with what they're giving away. Generosity is not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you have, right? And, and so some of you are some of the most generous, and, and you're the most joy-filled people I know. And, and for some of you who have yet to discover this and who've yet to live your life in this way and you're giving it away and make a difference, I want you to see how you could cultivate more joy in your life and that doing it through this way is going to do it more than almost any other way. But for those of us who already have discovered this truth, we want to just continue to like fan the flame inside of us and remind ourselves, continue to remind ourselves of how important this is, right? So we, we just read this in, in Proverbs chapter 11, and I want to read, to read this to you again, but this time I want to read it to you in the message paraphrase. And, and the, the message is a paraphrase. It's not a literal translation. So anytime I, I want to discover and say, what is the message? What is the paraphrase that Dr. Peterson wrote? What does this say? I always cross-reference it with a literal translation because sometimes paraphrases can not include the whole thought of an actual translation, or sometimes they add a little extra stuff in there. And I, but I, I cross-reference this verse, and anytime I show you a message in the, or a, a verse in the message or a paraphrase, I always cross-reference it because I want to make sure it stands true. But this is what it says here. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And then if we keep reading in the next verse in the NIV, it says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and, and 
Pastor Bob just mentioned this passage, not knowing this was going to be in my notes. But I don't know what translation that you read that in, but I want to read it to you guys in the message. And he writes this to Timothy. He's a young pastor that Paul's mentoring. And he says this, 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says, tell those rich in this world's wealth. And he's talking about those in the church, those in the church who, who have resources. To quit being so full of themselves and stop being so obsessed with money, which is just here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them, like, you want to be rich not in just world's wealth? You want to be rich in eternal wealth? Tell them to go after God, who piles on all the riches we could ever manage. To do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. We could say it this way, maybe you've heard it this way before, storing up treasures in heaven, right? That's what Paul's talking about. Paul's like, hey, everybody's always worried about living the good life. And I tell you what, I mean, uh, my daughter came home from college this week. She had to turn in this paper. She's working on it. She's got it printed out on the kitchen counter. I walk by and glance at it, and it says something about, you know, what the myth of the American dream, or what was it? Something like that. The lie of the American dream. And I'm telling you, as a patriot, that's like, oh, I don't want to hear that. But when we look at the, at the, the lie of the American dream compared to the truth of God's word, my life is not about the pursuit of happiness. My life is about the pursuit of holiness. And if I'm rich, if, if God has entrusted me as a steward over many resources in this life, it is not for me to hoard them and make, just make myself happy. It's for me to do something with it. And if I'm just a one, if I'm a one-talent servant, that, is a, that just means that, hey, I still have a talent. I'm not just going to go bury it in the ground. I'm not just going to mail it in or phone it in. I'm going to do something with what God has resourced me with. So no matter where you are on the spectrum of, uh, of worldly wealth, this verse is true for all of us. If you want to store up treasures for heaven, it, it, it doesn't matter how many dollars are in your bank account now. It's not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you have. This is good preaching. Amen. If you really want to live the good life, it's this right here. Be extravagantly generous. Acts 20, Paul reminds the church in Ephesus of what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Verse 35, remembering the, Lord's, the, the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You guys, there's more than 2,100 verses in the Bible about generosity. We're going to get around to about 1,900 of them today. No, I'm teasing. What I do want to do is spend a little time in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 today. Sometime around 50 AD, uh, toward the end of Paul's second missionary journey, he plants a church in Corinth before he goes on to Ephesus. And so the book of 2 Corinthians is actually the second letter that he writes to that church. He went, planted that church, has gone on. He wrote one letter to that church because there was a lot of things that were not in order. 
There was a lot of things that he needed to bring correction to. There were some things that, some theological holes that he needed to fill in for them. And so he writes that first letter. And then they start to shape up and do good. Awesome. And then 2 Corinthians, he writes this second letter. And again, he's writing to them to give some theology, some spiritual depth, some spiritual discernment, understanding. He's writing to give correction and encouragement. And in this specific part that we're about to read, Paul writes to them about a special offering for the church in Jerusalem. And there's probably a couple of reasons why Paul wants the Corinthian church to send this special offering. And and if you keep on reading through this letter, you understand that this isn't the first time that Paul and the Corinthians have talked about this special offering. He, as he's writing about it, he's reminding them because he's already spoken to them about it before in person. And, and so we, we know that, why, why, would you, why would he do this? Why would Paul send, want the Corinthians to send an offering to the church in Jerusalem? Well, one of the reasons that isn't specifically stated here, but we see it in other places in the New Testament and the other letters that Paul has written is about he wants to honor the church in Jerusalem. So he's wanting to practice the principle of honor. And he's like, hey, let's send a special offering to the Jerusalem church because they were the mother church. It's like, you, you guys wouldn't be here if it weren't for them. So let's send an offering to them to honor them. They were the OG disciples, right? <laughs> They're the ones who walked and talked with Jesus himself. And they were the ones to, to follow Jesus, to be faithful, and to propel the gospel of Jesus beyond the borders of Israel. Let's honor them. But there's another reason that Paul wants to send a special offering, and he does state this right here in this letter, and that's so that the needs of the church would be met. We, we know that the church, all throughout in the early church, was very persecuted. And the Christians and the, the, the Jewish Christians in Israel and in Jerusalem were not an exception to that. They were persecuted. But not only that, we do know this historically. During that time period, all of the Jews were taxed incredibly heavily. They had high local taxes. And then on top of that, they had Roman taxes. And so Paul's like, hey, these guys are under a lot of weight and a lot of pressure. We need to honor them, but we need to make sure that we're taking care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is, this is like the number one ministry that we're called to. Jesus said that the world would know that you are mine by the way that you love one another. And, and, and John talks about how we need to be generous first to those who are in the household of faith. And so Paul's like, it's not right for the mother church to, to be persecuted and to be heavily taxed and to, to be stressing out over this when we could do something to honor them and to help them. And so that's what's going on here. They need some encouragement. And Paul's like, hey, guys, why don't you be the answer to the prayers that they've been praying to God? You could be their, their answer. You know, that, that's true about you and I. You and I could be the answer to someone's prayers today. Live your life that way. When you get up tomorrow morning and you get ready for work, when you get ready to go into your school, think about, God, 
do you want to use me today to answer someone's prayer? The Corinthian church was able to do that. Now, right before, again, we get into chapter 8, Paul commends them. He's like, hey, guys, I wrote you this first letter. I told you to, you need to cut some of this stuff out that you were involved in. You did. You repented. You came back to the Lord. Good job. You've turned your hearts to Jesus. That's exciting news. And that's where we're going to pick up here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And I'm going to read through this here, and you guys can follow along in your Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen. And Paul says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So Paul is using the Macedonian churches in the north of part of Greece as an example to encourage the Corinthian church in the southern part of Greece. And he says in, in verse 2, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy. Everybody say overflowing joy. Their overflowing joy and extreme poverty. Did you know? Did you know that even in the middle of unfavorable circumstances, you can still have the joy of the Lord inwardly? Amen? All right, do you know that? In the midst of a very severe, severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Wow. And I, I think about this passage and I think about a few, just a couple years ago, two years ago, not even two years ago, but coming up on it. When we came to you all, when we were meeting at the Grove, and we said, hey, uh, we're getting kicked out of here. <laughs> They're getting ready to shut the whole thing down. We need a place. And then the Lord reminded us that there was this property out here at 11,000 Highway 99 called Anna Lee Acres. We said, God, is this what you have for us? We believe that it is. And we came to you and we said, we, we, it's time to take up an offering. And you gave, and then you gave beyond your ability, some of you. And it was amazing, and look what the Lord has done. And here we are, we're, we're property owners now. And so what's going on here, the Macedonian churches had hit pretty tough times, but they were still able to demonstrate incredible and notable generosity. Again, it reminds me of you guys. And, and, and I'll say this, and God must have done something beyond their ability. Because Paul says, he says that, and even beyond their ability. How are they able to do that? God. Like God resourced them in ways that, that weren't natural, that weren't in the regular rhythm of life. And he goes on to say, entirely on their own, which means they weren't coerced. Nobody tricked them into giving entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They're like, hey, we want to give. We want to do this. And they exceeded our expectations. So again, whatever it was that the Macedonian church did, it was impressive to Paul because he keeps bragging on them. And then this is how Paul saw what they did. He said this, they gave themselves. Everybody say they gave themselves. They gave themselves. Say it one more time. They gave themselves. 
first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Verse 7, but since you excel in everything, you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see also... See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, Paul doesn't tell them, excel in this specific dollar amount, right? This is how much they gave. Now, you need to give exactly that much, if not more than them. That's not what he says. He says to excel in the grace of giving, which speaks to that because God's favor had been shown to them, that results in God's ability to work through them. And he says in verse 8, I'm not commanding you. Like, I'm not going to make you do this. I'm not telling, that you have, telling you that you have to. I'm not twisting your arm. I'm not going to put you in a headlock and let, until you say uncle, you know. But he says, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Like, there's some healthy competition going on here. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says it this way. Uh, the writer of Hebrews eleven twenty four talks about how don't neglect, right, the assembling of yourselves together. So guess what? Today, just by being here, you have been obedient to the word of the Lord. Praise God. Some, some of you are like, yes, yeah. <laughs> no more for the rest of the week. I'll come back next week and I'll be obedient to God then. No, that's not how that works. And, the, and, and then coupled with that, it says this. Spur one another on toward love and good works. So that's what Paul's doing here. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm spurring you on toward love and good works. Look at, look at how the Macedonian churches did. What can you do? What can God do through you? Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's the source of grace? It's not the Macedonian churches. It's not a trick question. It's... Jesus. It's Jesus because everything is about him. Amen? For from him and through him and for him are all things, Romans eleven thirty six 36 says. Pop the clutch, preacher. <laughs> for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was rich. Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. Praise God, that's good news. And it's not talking about, when, it's, when Paul's saying all this, he's not talking about worldly wealth. He says, he's talking about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich in grace, and we... We're poor in it. And so what did he do? He left the glory of heaven and he came himself to save us because we were wretched. We were in a mess. We couldn't save ourselves. Even if we obeyed every single law, we couldn't do it. But he came so that we would be called out of our spiritual poverty into spiritual richness. Amen. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So they had already taken up part of an offering, but they needed to finish. And Paul is commending their heart. He's talking about the desire. This wasn't coming from a place of obligation. It was coming from a place of motivation. 
They wanted to. Verse 11, now finish the work so that your eager willingness, again, you hear that term, eager willingness? They're eager. Their eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. You've showed a little bit. You've expressed it. You've talked about it. Now it's time to kick it on home and finish it up. And then he says this, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Right there again. Paul saying, it's not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you have. Can I just tell you, when I was a younger believer, I was in probably more than one meeting, but I can think of one specifically where the preacher was getting everybody really riled up about taking a big offering. And Jamie and I were newlyweds, and I committed to giving more than what I had. And it wasn't because the Holy Spirit told me to do it. It was because I was just worked up emotionally. Now, if the Holy Spirit said, do this, then you better believe I would have done it. But that's not why I did it. I did it because I was emotionally worked up. And when we, we got in the car later, she's like, where are we going to get that money? And I was like, I don't know. I'm a little scared. I was not full of faith. You know why I wasn't full of faith? Because I didn't hear the Lord tell me to do it. I just, I had a desire, but it was based on being emotionally worked up. And what did I do? I didn't give according to what I have. I didn't commit an offering gift according to what I had. I committed to what I didn't have, and I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't wise. Now, are there times where God will speak to you and say, you need to do something that's beyond your ability? Of course. Paul just talked about it. He just says, you gave not even according to your ability, but God did something beyond your ability. God can do something, but let it come from the Spirit of God and not just, I got worked up and excited, and, and you were coerced. Do you hear me? Okay, this is some wisdom. I wish somebody had preached some wisdom to me 20 years ago about this issue. But instead, I had people trying to trick me out of my money. Now, did God honor my sacrifice? Absolutely he did. Not, I don't have any doubt about that whatsoever. But I look at how some people present this issue, and I go, this is not full gospel. This is Because it's not, it's not presenting the area of wisdom. And what Paul's saying. And Paul goes on for like four chapters about giving and generosity and taking up this offering. And that's just in 2 Corinthians. He talks about giving all throughout his epistles. But he's doing it not in a spirit of manipulation or emotionalism. He's doing it in a spirit of wisdom and faith. Amen? Amen. Okay. Praise the Lord. I'm not naming names. I'm not going to call those preachers out. Lord will deal with them. Now, there's a. Did we finish reading? Yeah. So, the, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So, the motivation of generosity, again, is not about what you have, it's about I want to. And it's not you have to. 
You don't have to. It's about that you want to. Now, again, like I told you, like from chapter 8 all the way through the next, through chapter 12, he brings this issue up and he's talking about some other things as well. There's a lot more to read. We're not going to get to all of that, but we are going to get to chapter 9 a little bit here in just a minute, but I want to pause right here because I want to talk about some choices that we can make about generosity. What are they? What are some choices that we can make about generosity? The first one is this. I can choose to give joyfully. I can choose to be generous joyfully. You should. You shouldn't do it begrudgingly. Uh, If you haven't found the fun in giving yet, then you really haven't found and discovered real generosity yet. In this text, we see, again, that there was overflowing joy that was connected to their generosity. Remember? Uh, some, some of you guys have been part of Seeds for a number of years, and you guys remember this, like way back in the movie theater days when we first started out there on, off of Kaysom Lane. We had these cards, and these you should have one of these uh, in the seat back in front of you. And it says right here, something extra to show you that God loves you. And, and these are a tool. They're a prompt for you And we call these uh, acts of kindness cards, okay? And these are going to be available to you from here on until the Lord says, don't put them out anymore, and I have no idea why he would tell us to do that. But you've got one right now in your hand, but there's going to be in the Welcome Center every single week for you to come and grab as many of these as you want to, and, you know, you can keep a supply of them, keep some of them in your pocket, put them in your purse, in your wallet, keep some in your car. What do you do with these? Now, some of you, you've been around long enough, you know what you do with these. Some of you are like, I don't know. What's this all about? Do I scan this QR code and something magical happens? No. The QR code just sends you to our website. But how do you use these? You can use them in a million different ways. Here's one idea. Before you go to work tomorrow, drive through Krispy Kreme or Donut Country or Dunkin' Donuts, and pick up a box of donuts and set them out at work. Come on, I feel the glory of God here right now. It's like that hot and fresh ready sign is on and lit right now. Glory. And sit that box of donuts out and sit a stack of these right there. And just say, hey, I just, wanted to, I just wanted to show some generosity today to the office. Or maybe you're in the drive-thru line at Starbucks or somewhere else, and you pull up to the window and you say, hey, I want to pay not only for mine, but I want to pay for the order that's behind me. When they pull up to the window, tell them, that their order has been paid for, and then here, can you hand them one of these cards? And what, we're just showing generosity here, showing somebody's God's love here, something extra to show you God loves you, and then we do too. Seeds Church loves you too. I dare you to try this. No, I double dog dare you. I double dog dare you to try this. I bet if you try it one time, you will like it so much you won't be able to stop. It'll be like Pringles. 
Once you pop, you can't stop. You remember the, the commercial like in the 90s with like Larry Bird and them with the laced potato chips? I bet you can't eat just one. That's how it is. That's how this is. Like, wow, that was fun. I want to do that again. Paul goes on to say this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, that God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know what that word cheerful in the Greek is? It's the word hilarion, which is where we get the word hilarious, right? There's laughter and joy connected to generosity. The Wall Street Journal, about 10 years ago, they released this article called uh, Hardwired Forgiving. And this article talked about evolution theory and how, like, you know, there's survival of the fittest and natural selection, and it's, you know, like, built into our DNA to, like, keep care for ourselves and, and build ourselves and, and expand our own territory and all of that. But the, the question was posed this, this way, like, if that's the case then why in the world does anyone ever show any kind of charity or generosity? If, if, this, if, if it's all about survival of the fittest, if it's all about you know, um, uh, natural selection, then why does anyone ever, why are they ever generous? Why are they ever charitable? Well, scientists discovered that there is this part in our brain that releases like hormones and endorphins that give us a sense of enjoyment when we act generously. Now, secular scientists don't know this, or they're not willing to admit this. They don't know how to interpret the data. But because why, why? Because this rubs up against evolution theory. It rubs up against survival of the fittest. It rubs up against natural selection. But we, have, as Christians, we have an idea of why that's in there. Because we... <laughs> have been intelligently designed by a creator who put that on the inside of us. Why? Because it reflects his character and nature. You've been made in the image of God. You didn't come from a monkey. And monkeys are selfish. Monkeys throw poo. Don't be selfish and throw poo. Reflect the character and nature of God. And when you act in generosity, you're going you're gonna to feel that. And God is the one that put that on the inside of you. When you choose to live generously, you're choosing joy. You're choosing to enjoy the ride. Now, the second choice we can make when it comes to generosity is this. I choose to give selflessly. Paul said that the church gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the others. Dr. John Bonnell, who pastored the Fifth Avenue uh, Presbyterian Church in New York City. He pastored that for 26 years. In 1992, he went home to be with the Lord at the age of 99. This is what he said. He says, if one first gives himself to the Lord, all other giving is easy. Being generous is not just about giving money. You're giving yourself. And that's a good thing because sometimes I don't have a lot of money to give, right? I told you last week, I can't treat your kids like I treat my kids, right? My kids come and ask for me for money. I can't just give out all the money I have to your kids. There won't be anything left for my kids. But the point is this. It's not just about giving money. It's about giving me. Being generous 
It's not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you have. When you give of yourself, it's more than a dollar figure. It's about your sweat and your effort and your time and your life that's being given. Even if it looks like dollars on the outside, it's what those dollars represent. What are we doing around here? We're making every home an altar, right? What happens on altars? Sacrifices. When you're showing generosity... It can be a sacrifice. It might look like dollars, but deeper than that, it's a sacrifice of your blood and sweat and tears and time that went into getting those dollars. So this is, this is if this is about our homes being an altar, how's this going for you? How's it going? How are you, how are you intentionally modeling generosity for your children? How are you intentionally, and I don't, I don't mean just being generous to your children. Yeah, you should be generous to your own children, but I'm talking about modeling it for them in your everyday life. How are you modeling it for your spouse? How are you modeling it for it, brothers and sisters in Christ that are on this discipleship journey with you? When you serve on the dream team, when you lead a life group, when you show up for church work day, when you show up for serve day, when you were out there in the community, you're giving of yourselves. This is what Jesus did for us, right? He saw our sin problem. He gave himself for us. He gave his life. He enables us to give our life because he gave his life. That's the work of grace. You know what Paul said about it? He said this in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 9. He said, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for the indescribable gift of the grace of God. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Amen? Amen. And it's because of his grace we are able to give. It's because of his generosity we're able to be generous. That's why Brett and the parking team are out there parking cars out of a heart of generosity. And Kirby and Sherilyn back there with the rest of the Seeds Kids team that are ministering to your children. They're doing it from a heart of generosity. And Sherry and Tommy and Jackie who are getting things ready in the morning, making sure there's enough coffee and those mints that you guys love so much. They're like... Are those sure those aren't like laced with drugs? (laughs) Scott and Alice and all the other life group leaders. That's why they're opening their homes to you guys. When you see someone serving, when you see someone selflessly giving themselves, thank them. Thank them for their indescribable gift. And thank God. Have you, start, have you thought about thanking God for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Have you thought about thanking God for your spouse? Have you thought about thanking God for those who are serving in the body of Christ, who are giving of themselves? We can choose to give selflessly. The third choice that we can make when it comes to generosity is this. I choose to give willingly. Willingly. 
That means, again, you're not doing it because you have to. You're doing it because you want to. What did Paul say in verse 12? He says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. We mentioned this last week. Some people say, well, isn't tithing part of the Old Testament law? Well, tithing predates the law. We first see it in Genesis chapter 14 where Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, who was the king and priest of Salem, a.k.a. Jerusalem. And so, you know, when people say that, what they're really saying is, well, I'm not required to tithe. Don't put that on me. Hey, I'm not putting anything on you. I'm not doing that. You're not under the law. You're under God's extravagant grace. And if I'm under extravagant grace, it means that everything that I am, everything that I have, everything that's under my control, everything that's under my influence, it all belongs to God. It's His. I want to tithe because I want to honor God. And I want to show generosity because, God, you've been richly generous to me. I want to. I want to do it. Generosity is not about a have-to thing. It's about a get-to thing. When, when, you return, when you return your tithe to the Lord, when you bring offerings, when you give of yourself, don't do it because you're obligated. Do it because you're motivated, because you want to. Not because you're under compulsion, but because you feel compelled. Not because, man... J.D. was really putting the pressure on us, and I just felt like I had to do it. Or maybe you get worked up emotionally. Remember we just talked about that? Do it because you feel the Holy Spirit doing something inside of you. It's in your heart. I want to, to lead you to find the joy in generosity, not bludgeon you into it. Bludgeoning people leads to communism. Willingly giving leads to communalism, which is what we saw in the early church. No one made them. No one bludgeoned them. Don't let your heart get to the place where you feel like you've got to. You have to. If you find the joy in it, you will feel the want to. The fourth choice that we can make when we give, to, give generously is this, is I choose to give intentionally. In other words, plan on it. Plan on it. Plan to give. Plan on being generous. It's not just something that you're going to just shoot from your hip. There are times where you shoot from your hip. That's what some of these are about. And sometimes you can do these on purpose too. You can plan to use these, not just, well, I just see an opportunity. Both things are good. But Paul is like, you should plan on it. Remember, we talked about this in person already. Now, I'm writing you to remind you of what we talked about. We're planning this. Paul tells the Corinthian church, you guys are killing it. You're doing a great job. You've repented when I brought correction to you. You're doing a great job with this thing and this thing and this thing. You excel in those things. Now, I'm challenging you to excel in the area of being intentional about it. Intentional. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly 
or in response to pressure. That's the New Living Translation. Paul's saying this, don't be a Scrooge, right? Don't give reluctantly, but also don't just do it in response to pressure because you saw the ASPCA commercial on television with the poor puppies and kittens and Sarah McLaughlin was singing in the background and it made you cry. Don't be manipulated. What I'm trying to do is spur you on toward love and good deeds, right? I'm trying to show you the joy in it. And ultimately, ultimately, I want you to hear from God for yourself. All the time, your antenna should be up, listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, telling you what he wants you to do. And when you're obedient and you respond to his leading, this is what he does. This is what God does. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Enriched. Do you know what rich is? Some of us, we, again, we live the American dream life. And we all have a picture of what rich is. And for some of us, it's this thing or that thing or the other. But we all have this picture of what it looks like to be rich. But do you know what rich really is? It's more, than you, it's more than you need. Rich is, it's more than you need. And why will God in every way give you more than what you need? So that. Say that. So that. You can be generous in every way. Why will God make sure that you have more than you need? so that you can be generous. And then what happens in your response to generosity? People give glory to God. It results in thanksgiving to God. Glory to God, somebody. So how can we be intentional? Well, I can intentionally give my time. Serve on the dream team. Worship the Lord. Yes, by singing and standing and lifting your hands and worshiping. But worship the Lord by serving on the kids' team. Worship the Lord by going to kids' camp or youth camp as a counselor. Worship the Lord by mowing the lawn of that widow that's down the street that you know is living on Social Security and food stamps. It's a sacrifice of worship to the Lord. I can intentionally give my talents Now, when we say talents, I don't mean it in the same way of the parable of the talents because that was a measure of money, and that whole parable is really about how we wait on the Lord on his second coming. But I'm talking about your gifts and your skills. Everybody is gifted and skilled at something. And when you're intentional about giving away your talents, it can make a difference. Some of you are good with kids. Some of you are good with organizations. Some of you are good of just like helping. Or just show up to help. I don't want to be in charge. I'm just here to like, what are you doing? I just want to come alongside. Just tell me what I need to do. And that you're, you're skilled at that. I, I can intentionally give my touch. Get your phone out. Find somebody. Find somebody that could use some encouragement and text them. Or call them and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. And don't just say that. Don't just say, oh, I'm praying for you. And then you go off and you go with the rest of the rest of your day and you never thought about them once again. 
when you say somebody, when you tell somebody, I'm, I'm praying for you, just stop and pray for them right then and there. Find somebody who needs some encouragement. I'm praying for you. Is there something beyond my prayers that I can do for you? How can I show up with my touch and actually make a difference in your life? It can sometimes be as easy as a smile. It can sometimes be as easy as a hug. And of course, I can be intentional in giving my treasure. Use your money for the glory of God. You know what money is? It's influence. That's all that it is. So whether you have a lot of influence or you have a little of influence, use your influence for the glory of God. And here's what God does, verse 10. Now he, that's God, supplies seed to the sower. Who does God give stuff to? People who sow it. He provides seed to those who sow it, those who give it. And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Again, it's not about how much seed you have. It's about with what you're doing with the seed you have. Jesus said it this way in Luke 16. He says, whoever can be trusted with a little can be trusted with much. What does this look like when you go out to eat today? Ask God, should I leave a large tip for this server? And if he moves you to do it, leave something that's going to knock their socks off. Leave something that Again, it's according to what you have, what you don't have. Paul says in, uh, I don't remember if it's chapter 8 or chapter 9, he says, I'm not telling you to give in such a way that it'll make life easier for someone else and make it harder for you. How many of you have given like that before? I have. Are there times where the Holy Spirit's going to ask you to take a step of faith? Absolutely. Absolutely. But in our everyday lives of being generous, the wisdom is give. But that doesn't mean it's going to cripple you. Why? Because God's going to give seed to the sower. It's just this way. It's intentional generosity. Check on your mom today before you take your nap this afternoon. Check on your brothers and sisters in Christ that you know need to be checked on. Look around. There's some people not here today. They might not be here for good reasons. Like, you know, maybe they're on vacation or whatever, but maybe they're not here for for not good reasons. Check on people. Here's the last choice of generosity. I choose to give thankfully. Remember what Paul said? We do it because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who did it first for us. He became poor so that we might be rich. Here's a good psalm to stick on your bathroom mirror. Psalm 112. This is a good, or Psalm 116, verse 12. This is, put this on the bathroom mirror. Put this on the refrigerator. What can I give back to God for the blessings he's poured out on me? How can you repay God? You can't. There's no way. You'll never be able to. So what do you do? 
I can reflect his character and nature. He's been generous to me, so I can be generous to others. We aren't generous because we have to. We're generous because we're thankful to God for his generosity. So the question is this, will you choose generosity? Not just today, not just this week, but will you live generously? If you do it, you'll like it. Will it cost you? Yeah, it'll cost you. Is it a sacrifice? Of course it's a sacrifice. Will God use it to bring glory to his kingdom and to make an eternal impact and difference? Of course he will. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. You are better to us than we deserve. God, when we were in our sin, you knew no sin, but yet you came to this earth and became sin for us. And you paid the penalty for that. You're so rich in generosity. You're so rich in love and mercy and grace and truth and all of the gifts, God, all the spiritual blessings. God, how could we not turn around and be generous to the world around us? God, help us. We want to be the, the, the farmers who sow the seed, not hoard the seed. So, Lord, we're asking you, where those of us that we've, we've been practicing, practicing this in our life, we're con continuing to trust you that you're going to continue to provide seed to the sower, Lord. We thank you for that. Our commitment to you is that we're going to, as you flow it to us, let it flow through us. And for those who, who are wanting to grow in this area, maybe it's not practiced in their life as much, Lord, I pray that you encourage them and show them the opportunities. Give, show them, open their eyes to the opportunities around them every single day to show generosity in these areas, to be intentional with generosity with their time and with their talents and their touch and their treasure. God, come and do a work through us. God, let Seeds Church be known in Middle Tennessee as a people who are the most generous people that, that any, any of our friends know, any of our community knows. Not, God, because we have the most resources, but because of what we do with what you have given us. Lord, that's how we want to be known. Not, again, to make a name for ourselves, but to give glory and honor to you, Jesus, so that people would come to know you. Lord, I pray that as you flow love through us, people would come to know you. In the name of Jesus, would you stand with me right now?